0: Well, as the Haverhill silver band fade out with the Lincolnshire puncture, it's welcome to a special... Christmas episode of just a walk in the sun, maybe just a walk in the snow.
1: Well, I think it would be a a little bit uh, cold outside today, and it's a nice white frost uh, with a little sprinkling of snow. Although I gather in the south of the of the uh, county they've had two or three inches of snow, but so far we're still got our heads above the the snow level.
0: Absolutely. So we've decided to have a special museum Christmas party today. I'm Reverend Paul Roberts, and Colonel Andy Taylor has joined me with a particularly festive Christmas hat on, and we're just going well, you, to.
1: Ex- you said you weren't going to mention that.
0: I know, I know, but I just can't help myself, Andy, because I'm going to be distracted by all of the. So podcast.
1: you don't want the flashing lights on then?
0: No, I think we'll we'll turn those flashing lights off. I think you know we we don't want to um, right. we don't want to go overboard.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we thought we'd have a look at some Christmases past both in the county um, and in the regiment as well. And Andy, you're going to kick us off, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I am. Christmas is always a a time when people want to be at home. They think of home and homely things. And the forces are no different. In recent years, we've had troops deployed in Northern Ireland, Afghanistan, Iraq, the Balkans. And at Christmas, it's always a very sort of emotional time. Mm. It would have been no different during the First World War and the Second World War. Perhaps even more emotional because of the threat that uh, those individuals were under and how far away they were from home. We've all seen or heard of the Christmas truce of 1914, and I don't know if you remember, Paul, the, the fantastic, or in my opinion, the fantastic uh, advert which Sainsbury's supermarket produced in 2014.
0: I do. That's right. To coincide with the 100th anniversary. Mm. It was um, wonderful. Oh, yes, I can remember those snowflakes falling in no man's land. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, it, it is. To, to I, in fact, I, I
1: watched it about half an hour ago mm. just to remind myself mm. how good it was. Yeah, And it was in conjunction with Cadbury's chocolate. And Cadbury's produced a commemorative chocolate bar with a special wrapper on celebrating the 100th oh. anniversary of the, uh, the, the First World War and that Christmas truce. I must admit, I did buy a bar or two thinking that I would save them. Ah, uh, the chocolate didn't last, <laughs> but I may still have the the wrappers tucked away in a in a in one of my secret stores somewhere.
0: Excellent. Well, maybe we'll have to stuff them, you know, like a stuffed animal, and put them on display <laughs> yeah. in the museum. They're probably known, that's um,
1: an, an interesting idea. <laughs> museum
0: pieces them, uh, themselves. Uh, the Herefordshire Regiment weren't deployed overseas, were they? Um, in no, in nineteen fourteen, Christmas nineteen
1: fourteen. In Christmas nineteen fourteen, they were still at home. By this stage, the 1st Battalion had been brought up to strength with recruits who had joined after August 1914. And the 2nd Battalion was made up of recruits, those underage, because lots of people, lots of young men enlisted who were underage, and they didn't discharge them. They retained them in the units until they were old enough to go overseas. Mm. And lots of them in the 2nd Battalion were like that. And there were men who were too old or, or temporarily unfit or whatever they were located in Aberystwyth oh, at the happened. at uh, the time of the first at the time of the first christmas mm, of the mm. war uh, they were undergoing training Th- there is one account of some men being gr- well i'm not certain if they were granted leave or not but they hired a charabang and drove from Aberystwyth or were driven from Aberystwyth to Hereford for 3 or 4 days over the christmas mm. period they're very cagey in the accounts about whether they had leave or not. So so perhaps they spent the next four, six or ten <laughs> days uh, um, not being quite so yes, comfortable within the camp. Confined to
0: barracks maybe,
1: yeah. But, but there's an interesting account. At this stage, the individuals were billeted in individual houses. The commanding officer uh, gave instructions that the company officers were to visit each of the houses where... The soldiers were billeted at the time they were having their Christmas lunch to make sure that they were being fed and presumably watered properly. (laughs) Now, with your profession, I suspect this reminds you a little bit of the Vicar of Dibley, doesn't it? (laughs) That's right.
0: That's right. Poor old Geraldine having to go round for Christmas lunch after Christmas lunch and certainly the... um, the the run up to Christmas and indeed harvest is certainly full of such festive fare. I'm sure those company officers didn't didn't get away without having a having a drink in each of those places. I, I'm
1: sure there would have been a snifter of sherry or <laughs> something in each of those places, and they perhaps had to visit I don't know, a dozen or fifteen houses. So mm. mm. uh, I suspect they were quite merry, and 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 it, it does say that the. That the sounds of the sounds and song of Christmas merriment emanated from the Hereford area during Christmas night. Oh, well, there we go, yeah. there we go. It sounds like a good time was had by all, and quite right too. Yeah. And of course, in
0: 1914, there weren't quite the food shortages that there were later on in the war. So I imagine that they were fed and watered pretty well. Well,
1: we we actually have an account of what the first battalion had on their um, their Christmas lunch menu. Mm. And there, it's difficult to work out exactly how many of them there were. We think probably about 800. 160 of them were deployed on a musketry camp in Cambridge. The, the main battalion was in Northampton. In Cambridge, it was pouring with rain, and there's a note in the diary that it was too wet for musketry practice, which uh, they were obviously keen if they were doing musketry practice mm. on Christmas Day. But the, the bulk of the battalion, I say, were in Northampton the menu or the food consumed is quite gargantuan 96 geese weighing about a thousand fifty pounds 420 pounds of sausages 825 mince pies 825 oranges 722 pints of beer odd numbers 206 bottles of mineral water 84 ounces of chocolate 7,830 cigarettes. Wow. Extra potatoes, supplementing the government supply of four ounces per man, were also issued. Onions and cabbage, and last but by no means least, about half a pound of plum pudding for each man. And the mayor of Lempster had collected and forwarded, carriage free, a box of plum pudding weighing. 400 weight 400 weight of
0: plum pudding that is, <laughs> that is, that is uh, going just, absolutely mind-boggling isn't it it
1: does mention if they are custard with it but there would have been gallons absolutely. on it absolutely
0: it's funny isn't it and I suppose those numbers perhaps it's striking that there were 825 oranges and 825 mince pies you sort of imagine that's one each um, but there yeah. weren't quite as many pints of beer so maybe this sort of shows the you know, impact of the temperance movement
1: absolutely. You know, I mean the, the temperance movement was quite strong in those mm. days, and there would be a, each each camp would have a wet bar, and a dry mm. bar. Mm. The wet bar selling alcohol, and the dry bar selling tea and yeah, yeah. Well, well, I don't suppose it was coffee particularly, but tea and tea and perhaps and hot chocolate, sarsaparilla like, maybe, so, yeah, and all those yeah. all those good things, yeah, dandelion and burdock mm. and those mm. um, those fizzy delights yeah
0: so so a a bottle of mineral water maybe was the concession to um to those that were that were dry on probably right on christmas on christmas day but it's yeah fascinating fascinating amounts when you think catering in those large
1: quantities well it goes on to say that as the men have ordinarily only their mestings to eat out of in order to make things a little less primitive we hired 1650 plates 200 vegetable dishes and 825 glasses. Oh, there we are. 100 each of pepper, mustard and salt pots and carvers and steels and 100 tin trays to bake the geese and the meat. So they thought of everything. Absolutely. See, it's a very good queue staff work there, isn't it?
0: All the quartermaster staff doing their stuff. They would have
1: been running around and the chefs, I think, would have probably earned one of those pints at the end of the day. I think so. And I suspect if it was a good meal, their mates uh, got them one as well (laughs) and helped them out. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. But the other thing that always happens traditionally at at Christmas, normally on Boxing Day, is that there are lots of sports. Mm. And... uh, the officers play the sergeant's mess or the officer, combined officers and sergeant's mess play the lads hit football. Normally, alcohol is taken before, during and after the match. Uh, but they can be quite fun, although there's always people that are too serious. Mm. But again, in the um, in the diary, there are accounts of uh, football matches being played yeah, brilliant. Um, between the, the companies and also... Um, with the 2nd Battalion, they played football against the local RMC unit.
0: Ah, OK. Uh,
1: the result, unfortunately, rather like England, the result was 2-1 against the regiment.
0: Oh, dear. I I, won- I wonder whether that was such a nail-biting uh, performance. Who-,
1: who knows? Who knows exactly? But football has always been quite a thing with the regiment. Mm. During the Second World War, uh, the regiment was training with the 11th Armoured Division and they were up in Yorkshire and they entered the... East Riding Services football competition, and it was a knockout competition, and they won it. Oh, so that was uh, pretty good. Good. Yeah. Oh, well, that's some. Um, yeah, that's that's good. They've obviously mm. obviously
0: won back their,
1: uh, their won pride. back their pride and, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah, their title right. after yeah
0: um, being beaten by yeah. the men I at mean the REMC
1: as the war went on. Of course, in in Christmas 1915, they'd just been evacuated from um, uh, Suvla Bay and literally just been evacuated mm. about the 10th of December. And there were hundreds of, of troops which were suffering from exposure and frost nip. And they went to hospitals and dispersal centres all over. Mm. Some got back to UK, some in Malta, some in Cyprus, uh, lots in Egypt. There were only about 80 fit men uh, when they were evacuated from Gallipoli. And uh, they went to a camp. In, I can't remember exactly where it was, in the middle of nowhere in Egypt, and they were in a tented camp. They had what they'd carried out of Gallipoli and nothing else. Mm. They had uh, no Christmas cheer. The, the accounts say it was a pretty desperate time. imagine that was pretty grim. They probably were yeah. looking back on that the previous Christmas with... Um, thinking how... Yeah, with their uh, pint of beer and a thousand pound of geese. Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, But uh, but again, then in 19... 19- 17, they were um, in the Middle East again, mm. uh, fighting up towards the Holy Land. And they did, they, they were out of uh, the front line at Christmas and they did have their Christmas activities. And there's an account of the CO managing to get them a pint of beer per a man each. They don't mention the food quite so much, mm. but they do mention the pint of beer. Yeah. So I think yeah. that was a, a little bit of a highlight.
0: Wonderful. And I I suppose those Christmas stories will have taken on an added meaning, wouldn't they? Mm. If you were if you were there uh, out there in the Near East, um, uh, working your way
1: towards Jerusalem. In fact, I think I got my years mixed up because I think I just said 1917, didn't I? Mm. It was actually 1916, because in 1917, of course, Jerusalem had just been liberated and they were outside. uh, The Herefords were were camped outside uh, Jerusalem. And there were uh, ballots and uh, men could go into Jerusalem and look around all of the holy sites. And I think a party of about 20 men actually went to divine service in Church of the Holy Sepulchre, is it? Yeah. They they actually went to divine Mm. service Mm. there on Mm. Christmas morning. So for these soldiers who would have been brought up in Mm. Victorian and Edwardian religious standards, they would have been taught... All of the religious uh, thought and thinking during their school probably attended Sunday school as well to go to these places which are mentioned in the Bible. That's right. They must have, have been fantastic for them. They'll have
0: been very familiar with all the names, and they'll have seen they'll have seen illustrations in in books. But to actually to have been there and to put a to put a place to a name yeah. will have been
1: quite an experience, I can imagine. And they probably would have brought back souvenirs to their their, their mothers and. Generally, I suspect their mothers were probably more religious than they were. (laughs) But then in in 1918, of course, they were on the Western Front and the weather was appalling. It was wet, cold, miserable. In fact, the war had finished, of course, Mm. in Christmas 1918. And they were moving forward to become part of the army of occupation on the Rhine. And uh, over the Christmas period, they were in some fairly poor accommodation, got absolutely soaking wet and then moved into a monastery and were, were billeted in a monastery for a couple of days over Christmas. Uh, they don't actually say a great deal about it. From what I can understand, though, the monastery didn't have a lot of heating. So they were there in their wet clothes, which they didn't have much opportunity mm. to dry out. So, again, a pretty miserable time. Mm. And no football. No, no football. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so the the Second World War, Andy, do we know much about the Herefords? Well, we we do, we don't.
1: Their details, the details are not so full as they were for the First World War. But of course, for Christmas 39, 40, 41, 42 and 43, they would have been in UK and they would have been under training somewhere. I think that in most cases, an element of the battalion would have been sent on leave, would have been given home leave. I don't know what rate it would have been, perhaps a quarter or a third or something like that. And over the festive period, I suspect that most men probably would have got uh, three or four days leave, perhaps 10 days leave if they were lucky. So th- they would have been home and been able uh, to celebrate. Uh, on Christmas Day, uh, In within the battalion, there would have been the normal round of uh, of duties mm. and everything else. But as always, the generally the officer, the commanding officer and the officer would try and make it a little bit special for, for the men who were there, and the officers in the senior ranks would generally serve the soldiers their Christmas lunch. Mm. So yeah, it was happening. And then when they in, in 44 they were in the front line, literally on the river Mars, facing the river Mars. One of the coldest winters there was 44, mm. 45. It was damp cold foggy, miserable, and they were sat on the front line. So they they didn't really have much for Christmas. They came out of the front line uh, to a rest camp. I can't remember the name of it now. And they said they celebrated Christmas then, about Mm, four or five mm, days later. But also during that time, there were rest camps established in lots of the liberated cities. Brussels, for example, and they, they would be given weekend passes to go there. And there were accounts of the soldiers going, using their weekend pass mm. to go to Brussels. And in fact, some of the officers went to Paris on a right. weekend yeah. pass. So I suspect that at Christmas, some of them tried to get to these places and there would be officers clubs, YMCA's, mm. Mm. Um, um, Salvation Army hostels and things like this. So the soldierly spirit would have been there to make the most of A bad job, Mm, but mm. with their mates, they would all be there together, uh, encouraging one another, looking after one another, and just, as I say, trying to make the Mm. best of their um, circumstances at the time.
0: Speaking of making the um, the best of a bad job, I've been doing a bit of research of my own, Andy, which um, oh, right. is always you know, always thought, dangerous. Absolutely, I know. I've come across a diary kept by Father John King, who, before the war, between 1936 and 1939, was the vicar of All Saints, Hereford, right, and uh, lived out on Ferndale Road in the city. Just before, in 1939, he was appointed one of the canons at Durham Cathedral and, the, and, and him and his wife and young family moved up to Durham. But the war broke out and actually they thought it was better to to move the family back to Hereford. Mm. And John King was uh, commissioned in the Royal Army Chaplain's Department and was attached to the 2nd, 6th East Surrey Regiment. Um, so no, no, no Herefordshire no, connection no, yeah. at all. Um, but it, as was often the way, they were a unit based in Richmond. And they were they were deployed overseas in 1940, uh, and uh, were t- taken prisoner on their way back to Saint Valerie. Um,
1: uh, right. The the alternative. Port to uh, the alternative embarkation port to Dunkirk effectively that, that's right everybody 51st Highland division
0: the 51st Highland division certainly they were the they were the uh, the troops that everybody remembers from Saint Valery if they remember Saint Valerie of mm. course because yes. most people know what Dunkirk is about but they don't yes. know so much about the evacuations from the other channel ports from Calais and Boulogne
1: that's right the, the, the troops at Dunkirk uh, if they could get to Dunkirk or if they couldn't get to Dunkirk, then they moved further along the coast to the west. And so all of the ports along as you go along that north French coast were, were all uh, used to a degree. But Saint Valeranco was um a, a little bit controversial. Well but-
0: well, of course, they were still landing troops there while they were taking them taking them out at Dunkirk. The yeah. idea being to open up a, a second front. It was a it 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 was an idea that, that- that came unstuck pretty quickly,
1: yeah I think there was a pol- political will as well mm. to show some um, commitment to the French as well, but um, it 's controversial because there were ships offshore which could have lifted mm. the troops and evacuated them, uh, but they were ordered not to, and as a result of this, hundreds, if not thousands mainly from of soldiers, mainly from the fifty first highland division mm. went. As they say, into, In the, the bag. into the bag.
0: That's right. Well, Padre King spent two or three days trying to evade German capture, but eventually, cold, wet, and very hungry, him and his his orderly were picked up. Um, by a signals unit, they were they were marched back through France, and the the diary he's written gives a very good account of that. Um, but when it came to that first Christmas in captivity in 1940, it found him in an officers' prisoner of war camp, an mm-hmm. Offlag, yeah. in Laufen, right in the very south of Germany, on the on the Bavarian Austrian, and, uh, and of course
1: the the prisoner of war camps in Germany were they're quite interesting because they were run by the the, the division of the services, so the army ran prisoner of war That's camps right. for army the air force or the luftwaffe ran mm. them for the uh, for the for air force prisoners mm. and then there were officer Prisoner of war camps as well, of which I suppose Kolditz is the most uh, famous. That, that's but, um, right. That's yeah. right
0: for the uh, for those uh, those officers that were serial escapers and mm-hmm. the high profile were eventually ended up in Kolditz. Laufen was uh, had been a seminary uh, and and a castle, mm. so, ha- so had a had a slight sort of I don't know ecclesiastical <laughs> yeah. grandeur. Although the the conditions were pretty pretty yes. poor, particularly for that first Christmas before the Red Cro- Red Cross parcels first started to arrive but they put on a pretty good service of nine lessons and carols and it's something that John King was pretty excited about he wrote from 2:30 till 4:30 i went to bed is in the afternoon and oh. deliberately to sleep, but was much too excited and on edge. Oh well. Wow. <laughs> um, so he lay reading a reading a book, a soothing book for a while. Um, uh, his fellow padre David Wilde and a major West had decorated the tree, and he'd arranged the altar in front of it, and with silvered cross and six tall candles. And then at five fifty-five p.m., he brought everybody in and signalled all set. He saw that everybody was seated. And then and got the packed congregation to its feet. Then almost like kings, once in Royal David City, came out of the gallery without warning, solo tenor, unaccompanied. Mm. Verse by verse, other voices joined in. Then the orchestra, and for the last two verses, the 400 men below. So began Laufen's first carol service. Following the king's tradition, it went on, slowly unfolding the incarnation. Even in my secret heart, I had not dared to hope that it would be so beautiful. Downstairs, as I looked over the gallery edge, I saw the room packed with men of every rank, from brigadier to private. They faced an altar white-dressed with its silver cross and six tall candles. And so the and so it go, it goes on until finally, hark, the herald angels, the singers, orchestra, brass, and congregation, full-throated. For the moment, it was over. I was absolutely whacked. But people ever since have been stopping me all day long. The most wonderful service I've ever been to. Why don't we have them like this at home? We ought to have a broadcast. <laughs> it need was... To speak to their vicar. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I like this one. It was worth being a prisoner to have heard that. Wow. And the last remark came from a wee man from Gateshead and he meant it. It, was, it made me terribly happy. At last, a Padre has been of manifest use at Laufen. Gosh, that's uh, pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think they they were all on pretty slim rations at the time when it came to uh, Christmas lunch. um, There was no extra rations uh, were given by the authorities but what the um what the, their cooks had done was to sort of hold back meat day by mm. day and so yeah. they had a meaty stew yeah. that day with uh, with yeah. old potatoes as well as as well as other things and then of course they led a christmas service um, on christmas day itself because it was a challenge for the padres because a padre in the British Army is an is an officer, and hmm. so they wear officers' rank. So they were all lumped into the those officer prisoners of war camp, and so there were about fifty padres altogether. All together, oh, goodness
1: <laughs> me, that could have. Uh... <laughs> Could have led to some conflict. I it certainly some, some, did. Some keen discussion.
0: It certainly did. I won't. He he provides some very good character uh, uh, assassinations.
1: Well, <laughs> well, yes,
0: I, I would say um, yes. Some of them are assassinations, really, of his fellow padre, some of whom he he thinks are um, are more amenable yeah. than, than than others. But you know, a, a fascinating glimpse into yeah. a, a different. Uh, I mean, m- most interesting
1: l- listening to it, and I, I'm sure that all those men that were there when they were singing those carols, taking their part their minds would have been miles away. Mm, mm. And the, the services in those conditions just give you that escape. And I don't know if you recall when we went on that battlefield tour and we stayed in Talbot House, and we went into the attic there, mm, which Tubby mm. Clayton had converted That's into a nice. church. And when I was listening to it, I was just thinking about how many men during the First World War went there on Christmas Day and what they must have been thinking mm, mm. having got away from the horror of the trenches and the peace of Talbot house and the familiarity of the the service and the carols and the thoughts of of home
0: mm, mm. Mm. christmas was one of those times when i think you yeah. could allow yourself to be I, I think for a short
1: time you could think about it and then you had to think about the football match on Boxing Day and who was going to win. That's right. And, and, and at Laufen... How the
0: fifty-first Highland Division were going to celebrate Hogmanay?
1: Oh, yeah, that would have been interesting. <laughs> that, that's that's a story for another yeah. time.
0: Well, this has been a great uh, walk in the sun, Andy. I've really enjoyed our, our Christmas festivity. Yep. I particularly enjoyed your hat. And uh, can I turn the lights on again? You now? can turn the light. You can turn the lights on again uh, uh, in our closing music, Andy. I think um, I, I <laughs> right. think, think we'll allow that.
1: But uh, thank you for chatting and allowing me to wear my hat, and to all of you. Out there listening, uh, a very happy Christmas and a joyous new year. Happy Christmas, everybody. Bye for now. Bye bye.